another pot of coffee is brewing and I have already had so much. My stomach is making that weird sloshing sound like, a like the tide going out or someone having done a dive bomb into the pool. But if I am going to get this episode out on time, I just need to keep on drinking. So that means it's time for another episode of Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, TV show marathoner, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. For the first time in what feels like forever, I have actually been working in an office this week. My brain is... 100% overloaded with information as I learn more about the company I have just started to work for. You know me, no names, and I am finishing each day with the sort of satisfaction that goes along with learning for a perpetual student like me. Believe it or not, I have also learned a lot about myself that I didn't previously know, so it's been an experience and a half. Anyway, this week I'm going to be taking you for brief trips to the Hamptons and the Bahamas, so you better have your passports ready for stamping. Of course, after that, we're heading back to New York for a big reveal, so wear a smart suit and get some popcorn for the entertainment that is going to ensue. Yes, I am going to be talking about a rom-com that actually does a really good job of being more about friendship than it is about love. Last week's scriptwriters could have learned a lot from Melissa Stack, who also wrote the screenplay for the sort of cute Disney Plus exclusive Godmothered. Starring Cameron Diaz in one of the last roles she had before she retired, as well as Leslie Mann, who did a much better job in this than she did in How to Be Single, despite being one of the only characters I actually liked. Of course, if you haven't heard that episode, then I am going to have to link it below so you can check it out. Anyway, I'm babbling on and I haven't even mentioned the title of the film yet. It's 2014's The Other Woman. I know, I know, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it turns out that it was inspired by one of my favourite friend flicks, the 1996 smash The First Wise Club, which was in turn based on the 1992 novel of the same name by Olivia Goldsmith. You may already know the plot of The First Wives Club, but as this is only inspired by it, I should probably give you an idea of what the other woman is about so you can get a brief taste. New York lawyer Carly Whitten, Cameron Diaz, lives by strict rules when it comes to romantic relationships, but when she falls for suave, handsome Mark King, Nikolai Costa-Waldau, she begins an affair with him, a surprise visit to Mark's home reveals that he is married to devoted housewife Kate, Leslie Mann. Carly and Kate direct their hurt and anger towards Mark, and when they discover yet a third woman, Kate Upton, caught in his web of lies, the three join forces to get revenge. I'm not giving anything away here by saying that I favour this over last week's choice. Not sure exactly why I wanted to sort torture myself with that, really. However... Let's get on to the real plot. The film opens on a man and woman passionately making out as they stumble through a rather swanky loft apartment. A brief conversation reveals that they have only just met and know next to nothing about each other, but they are being completely driven by the moment. 
We are then treated to a montage as Carly Whitten and Mark King get to know each other. There are trips to the park, roses and champagne gifted after a day at work, skyline restaurant meals, and it's clear that she is enthralled. Mark wants to meet Carly's father, and though she is not too keen on it, he manages to persuade her that the relationship is serious enough, after a couple of months, to make that sort of commitment. The next thing we know, Mark is in bed and his alarm is going off. He rolls over and it turns out he's in bed with another woman entirely. This woman is his wife of many years, Kate. Mark buries his head against her stomach in an effort to block out the light, protesting he doesn't want to go to work. If it weren't already obvious that Mark and Kate were married, their conversation as he's getting ready for the day definitely would do it. First of all, she tells him that he needs to watch his cholesterol, and then she starts to tell him about a man who ate undercooked pork who ended up getting a worm in his brain. Lovely story to share while barely awake. Kate seems a tiny bit high-strung, or at least incredibly energetic and bursting with enthusiasm. However you portray it, she is way too much for first thing in the morning. Kate is a really loyal wife who clearly trusts her husband because when Mark presents her with some accounting papers to sign, she does it without question or reading the paperwork. That is going to come back and bite her on the posterior later. Of that, I am positive. It turns out that Mark is currently the only man that Carly is seeing and this is a surprise to her assistant, Lydia, who is played by Nicki Minaj in her debut film role, complete with awfully long nails and a different wig every single time we see her. He is the first guy that she has been this serious about, and Carly isn't so sure what she's doing, but she's clearly infatuated with him. He's pressing all the right buttons in so many ways. Mark is just about to meet Carly to go and have dinner and drinks with her father Frank, played by Don Johnson, when Kate calls him and reminds him about a meal he agreed to attend with some of their friends. Realising that he can't cancel on his wife, he instead cancels on Carly, telling her that he has a plumbing emergency that can't be ignored at his house in Connecticut. So off he drives, leaving a furious Carly behind to go and have dinner alone with her dad. Carly comes from a long line of players. Her dad, who admittedly looks very sexy for his age, has been married five times and is very rarely without a number of women. Carly tells him that she had some doubts about Mark, but she wasn't sure what they were. However, she's now going to call it a day on their relationship because he cancelled on her at the last minute. Her dad then convinces her that she's calling it too soon. If he has a plumbing issue, then perhaps she should go and help him. Make it a fun game. So, of course, that's exactly what Carly does. She gets dressed up in a very suggestive costume and, carrying a wrench in hand, shows up at Mark's house, only to have the door answered by Kate wearing a nightgown. Carly makes some sort of awkward excuse, stumbles over in shock and breaks a large ornamental urn before leaving, furious and humiliated. The very next day, Carly arrives at her office to a massive bouquet of apology roses. Mark has zero idea that Carly now knows he's married and he's just apologising for cancelling on her at the last minute. The roses do not last long. They are destroyed in moments as she is not about to forgive him. She has one golden rule, no married men. Lydia starts to tell her that not every married couple should be together. 
As an example, she uses herself and her partner, Stan, who is someone incredibly wealthy by the sound of it. They were both married when they met. Carly points out that they wrecked two marriages, while Lydia responds with, one was mine, so it doesn't count. Lydia clearly does not care about being faithful, though I'm sure the boot would be on a different foot if she was the one being cheated on. Ugh. Anyway, Kate turns up at Carly's office. She is all sweetness and pretty, and you can't help but like her. However, she does say things as they are. She just wants the truth. Is Carly sleeping with her husband? Carly feels massively awkward because she really never wanted to be in this situation in the first place. It just gets worse when it appears that Kate wants to know all the details. She's desperate and miserable and causing a scene in the middle of the company offices. So Carly agrees to tell her anything she wants to know if Kate will just stop making a scene and leave. The pair go to a bar and it's clear from the offset that Kate wants and probably needs friends. She's somewhat isolated being the wife of a man who rarely spends any time at home. Mark is a bit of a jerk, to be fair, and Carly makes a point of telling Kate this. The lies that he's been telling Kate are unbelievable. They're about everything, where he's going, where he's been, who he's with. So the chances are he's lying to her about a lot of other stuff too. At this point, my mind immediately goes back to those accounting papers and I start to worry. Kate definitely cannot handle her drink. As the conversation with Carly goes on and there are multiple reassurances that she will never see Mark again because she doesn't mess with married men, she also tells Kate that it is down to her to make a decision. And then Kate says something that any woman over 40 that's single and trying to date will be able to identify with. The last time I was single I was 24 and the dating pool was everyone. And now it's a shallow puddle of age-appropriate men who are old and gross. They both drink a lot, but Kate is the one who throws up in her handbag and has to be guided into a town car to go back to her house. Whether she'll ever admit it or not, Carly isn't quite as hard-nosed as she presents herself as being. Kate is really hungover when she gets up the next morning. While in the store, she has a few paranoid moments where she believes that everyone is talking about her and Mark and how he is cheating on her and she's a fool. So she heads back into the city and surprises Carly with another visit at her office. However, this time she has a companion in the, in the guise of a massive dog called Thunder. Kate just wants to confide in someone and doesn't have anyone else because, as she says, all my friends are Mark's friends. It must be really difficult to be in that kind of situation and feel so alone. Later that evening, when Carly is relaxing in her apartment, which is incredibly monochromatic and minimalist, Kate shows up, complete with dog Thunder, a creature with zero boundaries. Carly reluctantly lets her in after giving her some legal advice. For all that they're not really friends, they find a lot to talk about that isn't the one thing they have in common – and we get a scene that looks as though it could be out of 13 going on 30, talking about waxing and clothes and makeup. As Kate is leaving the next day, Carly gives her some absolutely vital advice and warns her that she needs to be careful because Mark is shady. Mark is away for the weekend when things really hit Kate and she destroys his office with a golf club, smashing everything, including parts of the wall. 
She calls Carly asking for help to sort everything out and it is during this visit to the Connecticut home when she is not wearing a sexy plumber's outfit that she meets Kate's brother Phil for the first time. He is played by Taylor Kinney and looks very good in a tool belt. She introduces herself as Carmella. There's instant attraction but Kate tells her a very loud and definite no, not my brother. When Mark arrives back from his trip to Florida, his entire office is covered in tarps and Kate tells him that she has decided to redecorate it properly. It seems that her life as a corporate housewife is pretty much focused on maintaining the home and making sure everything is pretty to impress her husband's business associates and friends and she is bored. She calls Carly needing advice and Carly, who initially thinks that Kate killed Mark, tells her... If you did, don't tell me as I can't defend you if I know. The advice is needed as it appears that Mark is feeling a little frisky and Kate feels unsure. Carly is incredibly matter-of-fact at this point so tells her that if she wants to sleep with her husband then she should. They're married. You can already see the bonds of friendship growing between them even though Carly is resistant because of the circumstances under which they met. Fair enough. I can imagine it would be rather awkward being friends with your mis- your hus- your partner's wife or your husband's mistress. As things start to happen in the bedroom, Kate panics and says that she needs to go to the bathroom, where we see a frantic scene of her getting ready, shaving her legs, under her arms, spritzing perfume, cleaning her teeth, you know, the whole whole thing. Meanwhile, Mark's phone has rung and he's talking to whoever it is in hushed tones about how much he misses them. When Kate comes out of the bathroom, she hears him and assumes it's Carly. She knows that it's definitely a woman and she feels betrayed. The whole thing has brought reality crashing back down around her ears. Mark is a pig, pure and simple. If this were a fantasy film, this would be the point where someone would cast a spell and he'd be turned into a squealing little oinker. Kate and Phil are working together on Mark's office when he brings up Carmella and how nice she seemed. Kate, still furious about the phone call Mark got the previous night and positive that he must have been speaking with Carly, tells Phil that Carmella is Carly and that Mark is sleeping with her. A few days later, Carly and Kate meet up for lunch. Kate is still furious and flings accusations at her that she's lying because she's definitely still sleeping with Mark. And it's at this point that they both realise there must be someone else, that he's been cheating on them both. Seriously, where does this guy get his energy from? Does he have a caffeine and B12 IV or something? I don't even have enough energy to do much after I've had a day at work. It appears that Mark is going to the Hamptons for the weekend for a business trip, or so he tells Kate. He packs up his golf clubs and his suits and heads off. Moments later, Carly and Kate start their own trip. To the Mission Impossible theme, no less. They are going to follow him and find out exactly what's going on. Who is this mystery woman that isn't either of them? Having followed him all the way out of town, they end up at a gated house where they scale the fence, though not very efficiently, and spot a jetter, which apparently means young and hot. I didn't know that, did you? The point is further proved when Carly admits that as a young woman, she also drove a Jetta. Kate then takes them to a really lovely house in the same area that is being worked on, and it turns out that it's owned by her brother, Phil. 
Despite knowing who Carly is, there is still that spark between him and Carly, and she clearly returns it. On the beach the next day, both girls are hiding in the sand dunes, spying on Mark and his new girlfriend, and they're stunned and horrified when she stands up and walks into the water. She's young, blonde, curvaceous, and really beautiful, and she's played by Kate Upton. They both act as though this choice is a personal affront to them. So unoriginal, says Kate. Such a cliché, responds Carly. But it is Carly who takes it as more of a personal insult that she's been replaced as a mistress by a younger model and actually chases her down on the sand. At a small bar slightly later, Carly and Kate both tell Amber the third girl, the truth, and she imparts what she knows about Mark, including the fact that apparently Kate was the one who asked for a divorce and she cheated on him. He also told her that Kate's the devil. Seriously, you could not find a sweeter or more lovely woman. She's actually befriending the women who sleep with her husband. That night, the three women gather at Phil's house and get to know each other, Phil and Carly also get to spend some time together bonding over her weird friendship with his sister and the whole unusual situation that they've actually found themselves in. Kate decides that she wants to get revenge and to the classic 80s girl soundtrack of Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun, they plot and plan together. They all have their roles to play and we get to see little bits of it acted out on screen, including depilatory cream in his shampoo, hormone pills in his smoothies and using his toothbrush to clean unmentionable parts of the dog and the toilet. While at dinner, Carly puts laxative in Mark's whiskey when he's taking a phone call and before they have time to work, she asks him how she can help her dad to protect his assets from currently being divorced wife number five, Mark tells her that she should advise her father to lose his money, as that's what he's been doing, losing money. Carly is a mine of resources, but she really could do with relaxing just a little bit. She heads with Amber to meet her dad at a bar in Chinatown, they want to find out how Mark can actually be losing his money and how they can find out what's happened to it all. Unfortunately for Carly, Amber and Frank seem to be very similar free spirits and they get along like a house on fire while she's sitting there awkwardly watching them. A few days later, the plan is going swimmingly. Mark's losing his hair, gaining weight and getting incredibly emotional, but he's also incredibly horny so the girls play rock, paper, scissors when they meet up to see who should sleep with him. Amber wins and despite protestations that she's absolutely fine, she spends the night in her wedding dress drinking and crying while watching her wedding video. Carly shows up because she knows that Kate is not okay with everything and ends up having to hide under Kate's skirt when Mark arrives home much earlier than expected. Poor Carly ends up having to essentially jump out of a first floor window, that second floor to you guys in the US, in order to escape. Kate and Mark later on are at a dinner party where Mark is touting for business and investors when Kate bumps into Nick, one of his current colleagues. 
She's trying to play the happy wife and part of her is really proud when Nick tells her that her idea was genius and Mark is a great guy making him loads of money, though it's a shame about one of the investments they made that tanked. They're both on a bit of a high after the event and possibly just a little bit drunk and they end up having sex. They are married and to be fair there is no doubt still a part of Kate that wants to believe the best of her husband even though she knows the truth. Well, some of it anyway. Carly and Amber have been working all weekend searching through business records and filings and they have discovered the truth that Mark has actually been stealing from his business partners. However, romance reignited after a night with Mark. Kate doesn't want to believe it. She wants to call the whole revenge thing off. It's also at this point that Amber reveals she managed to dissuade Mark from having sex with her previously by telling him that she had chlamydia. However, having decided to call everything off, things quickly go south for Kate when Mark tries to feed her antibiotics for a supposed illness and tries to get her to sign even more accounting papers. She realises that he has been lying and that Carly was right all along. He is trying to treat the chlamydia he believes he may have given her that he supposedly caught from Amber, which he didn't, and he needs her to sign her name to more papers so she is the one arrested if anything goes wrong with his scheme. Oh my God, he really is an arse. Unfortunately, when Kate goes back to Carly to apologise, Carly says that she has decided she needs to move on and not let this affect her anymore. So Carly says that she is going, oh, for fuck's sake, Rachel, Kate. Unfortunately, when Kate goes back to Carly to apologise, Carly says that she has decided she needs to move on and not let this affect her anymore. So Kate says that she's going to go to the Bahamas on her own, as this is where the money he's been stealing is being kept. It's only after Kate leaves, Carly realises that Mark has made his wife the full guy and she cannot let Kate do any of this on her own. She is a surprise arrival, along with Amber at the Bahamas airport, where the three head straight to Mark's hotel and witness him flirting up a storm with a brunette that he later takes to the bank with him. How many women does this guy actually have? Seriously. He must truly be either something amazing in bed or a fantastic liar. Anyway, the girls head straight to a bar for the night. They drink, they have fun, relax, and Amber tells Carly that she's been seeing Frank. The next morning, before the sun rises, Carly watches as Kate stands on the shore for a few moments in contemplation before pulling her rings from her finger and flinging them into the ocean. All three girls then sit huddled together and watch the sunrise. It's a really beautiful bonding moment and seriously, the, Bah the Bahamas, the sun, the sunrise, the shore, the sand, the whole lot. Yes, please. Kate now has a job to do. As everything is in her name, she now needs to go and clear out all of his bank accounts. Back in the US, Mark arrives at Carly's law offices full of pep and rather smug He's had a nice vacation and he is totally unaware of the fact that his whole life is about to come crashing down about his ears. He remains smug for mere moments because the minute that Lydia shows him into the boardroom and he sees that his meeting is with Carly, Kate and Amber, he tries to leave. But Lydia stands at the door having flicked the lock so he can't escape. 
Kate asks for a divorce and he's trying to talk his way out of it, telling her that Carly and Amber meant nothing. Carly passes him the divorce papers and they start talking money. And it's at this point that he realises he's been discovered. He's more horrified when he sees that his share of their worldly goods is precisely zero. He is getting angry and has a hissy fit, telling Kate that she will be responsible for everything as her name is on all the paperwork. Kate then informs him that she's made reparations and given Nick all his money back. Mark is losing his composure rapidly and when he tries to leave in anger, he breaks his nose by trying to walk out a glass door that was locked. He manages to get out and as he's still not sure he believes what's happening, the sound he makes when he realises they are telling the truth as he checks his bank balance is something akin to the sound of a tortured animal. He's not paying any attention when he storms through a wall of glass into another empty meeting room and the entire thing shatters around him. This could probably be considered a metaphor for how his life is currently going. This guy is an absolute mess. His world is falling apart around him and the meeting room shattering, destroying his suit and giving him even more blood everywhere is the last straw. He leaves just in time to witness his car being towed as he was parked in a no parking zone. As he's standing at the side of the road, still yelling and stomping around like a toddler having a tantrum, Frank comes along and punches him in the face. Not saying he doesn't deserve it, but wow, seriously, talk about a bad end to an already disastrous day. We then get an update on the status of all the women. It appears that Kate is in her element. She's working with Nick and she is the ideas person. And there is a tiny hint that it's a, an association in more ways than one. Carly and Phil are together and expecting a baby, living his, in his house out in the Hamptons. And Amber is enjoying being Frank's wife number six as they spend their time relaxing on the beach. So they all get the ending that the film was leading to without losing anything of their characters in the process. Just in case you haven't checked any podcatchers in the last week, a brand new episode of The Bookshop about the Peter Pan-inspired novel Wendy Darling by A.C. Wise is available for download now. It turns out that the film came about because 20th Century Fox wanted something inspired by The First Wives Club – but with younger women in the cast. Not sure exactly what Fox had against women in their 50s, but they were okay with women in their 40s because by the time the film was released, both Man and Diaz were actually women in their 40s. So not that much younger than Goldie Horn, who was 51 at the time the first Wife Club was released. Am I already over the hill? God, that's a scary prospect. Though it wasn't the biggest critical success, it still made a pretty hefty profit at the box office. The budget for the film was $40 million and it ended up making over $196.7 million globally. So it definitely made back what was spent on it. As I've already mentioned, it was originally proposed because 20th Century Fox, which is now 20th Century Studios, wanted a script that could be seen as a younger update of the amazing First Wives Club. While I can see some similarities between the two, the concept of the three women befriending each other definitely didn't come into play in the original. 
The studio started planning for the film in 2012 with Cameron Diaz and Kristen Wiig in consideration for the roles of Carly and Kate. However, in early 2013, it was announced that Leslie Mann was now on board as Kate, which I personally think is a really good choice. Not saying I don't enjoy Wig in her movies, but I'm not sure that it would have been one that she was suited for, the sweet, biddable wife. The rest of the cast was confirmed by April 2013, and less than a month later, filming commenced. One of the things that I really love about this film is the fact that none of the stuff they do is in any way extreme. Okay, so yes, they use depilatory cream and hormone pills and they all fly out to the Bahamas without giving it a second thought. But we know that Kate's family has a bit of money and Carly is a high-powered city lawyer with a beautiful apartment and probably a fair bit of money in the bank. The only one I would have possibly been doubtful about is Amber, but we don't know much about her about who she is or what she does, just that she's young and actually a really nice person. They don't go down the weird voodoo curse route or anything that would take you out of the fact that the story is in many ways grounded in reality. I have no doubt that there are men like Mark around, just that as there are some really nice men around too. He's not a murderer, just a serial liar and a cheat. And to a massive degree, he deserves pretty much everything he gets. I also like the fact that the last we see of him is when he is punched in the face. It's as though it was felt he didn't deserve the closure the other characters got. We've come to the question and answer part of this episode, so let me know if there are any questions you really would like to hear me answer about the films and shows I watch, or if there's something you want to hear me cover. Did I enjoy it? This is a film I am not ashamed to say I have seen quite a few times and each time I enjoy it. I love that the ladies get their revenge and they don't go so over the top that any pain inflicted upon Mark is extreme. He's a jerk and he deserved the punch in the face. He's a thief. He deserves to lose the money he stole. This film doesn't push things to the revenge extreme where they torture him or have him killed. They just do their best to reverse the damage that he inflicted. It's sort of a gentle rom-com with more focus on friendships that build between the three women who in normal circumstances probably would never have met. They are all so different, but they have a reason to bond and instead of it driving them to hate each other, Kate's sweetness and Carly's determination ensure that everything is right in the end. Amber brings an element of youth and laissez-faire to the proceedings. Would I watch more? As I've already said, I actually really enjoy this film and I have watched it <laughs> several times when I need something light and enjoyable. So yes, I probably would watch it again, though it's a bit of a shame. Well, I say it's a bit of a shame there's no sequel, but at the same time, they told the whole story in one go. This is the sort of chick flick I really enjoy. I prefer the ones where there is a happily ever after, but where it's because they've gone out and got it for themselves. I don't believe that any happiness should depend on you being in a romantic relationship. I honestly believe that this is about who you choose to spend time with, be that friends or family. Yes, I realise that this totally contradicts how I felt about the ending to How to Be Single, but I still feel that the entirety of that movie was more about finding someone than about being happy to be the person you are, at least as far as Alice was concerned. 
So, how are things in the coffee household this week? If you're listening to this on Thursday, then I am currently on day four of my first week in a new job. So far, so good. Though every single morning I do get up with a bit of a feeling of dread in the pit of my stomach. So what's causing this? Is it nerves about going into a new office? Nope. It's the thought of getting on a crowded bus with a lot of people who have been goodness knows where. I know, I know, they could be thinking exactly the same thing about me. Unfortunately, my anxiety pill is a nighttime one because I have night terrors and sleep anxiety cycles. Such fun. So they stop my heart from beating out of my chest when I'm asleep. However, I could really have done with one every single morning this week. On Wednesday, we had to go around and meet everyone in the company, whether that was via a Teams meeting or in person. 12 meetings across a seven and a half hour day is nerve wracking at the best of times. When you have anxiety at meeting new people, it's a whole terrifying experience that means you either do what I did, which was babble, or stand there and say absolutely nothing. Not sure which is worse, to be fair. Luckily, I am in the induction with someone else, but he's just as quiet and nervous as I am, so we make the perfect partnership. Inductions are so valuable when you start a new job, but people have been asking me, how are you finding it? Is it nice? What are the people like? And being honest, I cannot answer that yet. I can tell you that the journey to the office is 15 nerve-wracking minutes on the bus. I can tell you that on my second day, I had to wait for someone to show me which door to get in, as the door I left by didn't open with my pass key. I can tell you that unlike my old office, I don't have to pay for tea or coffee, and the system they have in place for COVID is really well thought out. I can also still wear shoes in the office. I can also tell you that I will be working in the office on Tuesdays from next week. But what I can't tell you is what the job will be like. I won't be able to tell you that until at least next Friday because I won't have done any of it yet. Induction is a great thing. It is, but it gives you a better idea of the front-facing image of the business far more than it does behind-the-scenes workings. Okay, Would my nerves have been all right with being dumped in at the deep end as I was with my last job? Probably not. I would have been nervous about the fact that I didn't know what I was meant to be doing or what the company expected of me. But at the same time, the daily information overload is proving pretty exhausting right now. Though the information will, I have no doubt, be really helpful when I come to doing my job. I feel as though I am being shut away in a room with another person who doesn't know anything about the business and we are being piled high with information that, at a later date, will be really useful. But right now, right now, it just feels as though I'm confused. This isn't really so much about mental health as it is about how I feel in my first week, but it does have some bearing on how I'm coping with a new job. Being honest, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to be doing, that I, though I know where I'm going to be doing it. I don't know how I will be working, but I know which days I'm in the office. I have no idea of any of the tasks on my new to-do list, something that always makes me feel secure. But I do know that I have a laptop to use, which is pretty important, to be fair. Hopefully... Tomorrow, things will become that much clearer, and perhaps by this time next week, I will be able to say to you, I like my new workspace, the people I am working with, and the job I am doing, with a little bit of surety. 
That said, everyone is lovely. And I, I mean that sincerely. Everyone is really lovely. The overload is just so exhausting. And even better, next week, I won't be getting up at 5.30am in order to write my scripts. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the listen and I will be back next week with more. Don't forget, the bookshop will be open again on Monday with a brand new episode and I hope you'll like what I have to say about my next book when I've decided what it is. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a review or just a star rating over on Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Instagram at notbeforecoffeepodcast. Well, I need another cup of coffee as I have not had enough and I am still chugging along. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on again. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.